Welcome to Faith Restructured. I'm Cole. And I'm Mike. Here we cover topics on faith, deconstruction, and reconstruction. We discuss books that have helped us through the process, and we'll interview some friends and experts along the way. Let's jump into today's episode. Check, check. Check, check, one, two, check, 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 all right, and we're live. Hello, everybody listening in. Uh, I am sitting here with my good friend, Mike. Uh, we kind of introduced ourselves in the beginning, but just a little bit of background on us. We went to college together, uh, Eastern University. Uh, we weren't always good friends. Is that right? Right. Mike? Yeah, I was uh, a great student and Cole was um, a delinquent. So <laughs> Um, now we've met say, in the middle. I had a social life and Mike actually back then had a lot of hair. If you saw him now, you would uh, not think so at all, but right. uh, yeah. So the reason behind this podcast or, or why we we've decided to do this, um, we've, we've shared in a lot of conversations. We've, we've shared in the, the books that we've been reading along the way. And we just thought like, why do we keep doing this alone? Like maybe there's other people out there who want to hear this too. But uh, Mike has a bit of a different take on that. Yeah, I just felt like there's a lot of peer pressure to start a podcast <laughs> at this point. Everyone else is doing it. And so why not jump on the bandwagon? Uh, no, but seriously, you know, Cole's been one of my, my dear friends for years now. We, we're in a very similar walk of life. We're both in youth ministry, um, but we come from very similar backgrounds. We've lived very paralleled lives in a lot of ways, which is kind of bizarre the more again, that we've if talked you had more about hair, that again if you had more hair i would wonder if we're the same person and if your beard wasn't patchy but here we are <laughs> um but uh yeah so we, we've just had so many conversations about our journey of faith and uh, and what that's looked like and so we were like you know what at this point what would it look like to share that with some some of our dear friends and and maybe even some strangers so faith restructured what do we mean by that um it there's a kind of a, I guess now, <laughs> since we were even just planning this podcast, there's now like a hot uh, or a buzzword, I guess you would call it, of deconstruction, right? It's it's not a word that's, in my, I guess, experience was used a ton. Um, I only really learned it once I came out of college, and, and that was like rigorous biblical studies stuff. I, I Mike, is that the same experience that you had? Yeah, I think deconstruction is a word that I heard in a more academic setting um, in some theology and philosophy classes, mm -hmm. but it's not something that's been as um, widespread, I don't think, in common conversations. But I think it's an instance of where people know that they're feeling something, but they don't know how to put it into words. Um, and so it's one of those technical words and definitions that is like an aha moment for a lot of people after the fact. And so one of the hearts behind why, you know, Cole and I want to do this, correct me if I'm wrong, um, is that we've experienced over the years that we've been reading all these kinds of books and discussing these really technical terms um, in the classroom setting. Um, but most people aren't doing that. Most people are just hearing about these things after the fact. And so we know that most people don't want to read dense theology and philosophy books 
um, because you don't have the time, but we're hoping that maybe this is a place where we can share some thoughts on some of those things we've read and maybe that'll be interesting and helpful and maybe it'll be boring and you skip an episode or two. Uh, we don't know, uh, but we're, we're hoping that somewhere in the middle we find a niche where some of these things that we're really interested in can be helpful to some of you all. Yeah. And so the, the goal, I guess, of this podcast, we'll jump into it a little bit more, but the goal really is to look on the other side of a deconstruction. I think that's been a, a really important piece for both of us. And so that's kind of the hope. But before we do that, um, just so we kind of understand and share, have shared terminology, uh, Mike, when we're, when we say deconstruction, maybe you can explain that a little bit for those who are listening. Yeah, for sure. Um, so in the uh, simplest definitions, I think, you know, we all hear the word construction a lot. We see construction sites. It's about building something. So logically, deconstruction would mean taking something apart. Um, and the, the term itself is usually paired with or associated with uh, this school of thought called postmodernism. Um, but to understand postmodernism, we have to really understand what modernism is. So uh, the simplest definition, feel free to Google anything and listen to an expert that's not me about this, but modernism, um, it was really a product of what we call the Enlightenment, which was this period of time in the 1700s where um, just the way that everyone thought about reality changed. The Enlightenment was just this time when reason was the focus of everything. Logic was the focus of everything. Um, there was a shift in how religion was viewed around the world. Um, and even as religions tried to resist the influences of the Enlightenment, um, the impact was just unavoidable. And so everything became a problem that could be solved, whether it was in science, it was in religion, it was in relationships. Um, and this is really when you see a shift in how the church talked about um, issues, whether it's about the Bible and science or it's about um, apologetics, this, this discipline of defending the faith. All of these shifts were um, a product of the Enlightenment and modernism. Now, postmodernism or this aftermodernism school of thought is the idea that we can't just trust every answer that's given just because it comes from an authority figure, we need to question how these conclusions um, were arrived at. And so postmodernism is this time of questioning all of the logical conclusions people have claimed to come to, um, which all of us can agree that everyone thinks they're logical in the moment, right? Um, this is where debates thrive, is that people think they're so smart, so logical. How could you think something else? So deconstructionism is, a, is this uh, discipline or this activity where people are engaging in the activity of trying to work backwards from the conclusion. So you can take any kind of conclusion in the context of faith, such as women should not be in uh, leadership roles in the church. That's the conclusion. So deconstructionism would say, let's work backwards. How did we come to this conclusion? So maybe it's a certain text in scripture that they want to unpack, or maybe it's a certain tradition in a certain denomination, because not all denominations come to that same conclusion. So deconstruction is about working backwards to see where, where did we even 
begin to get this notion that this is true. Because the reality is there's a lot of different opinions on a lot of different things. And so deconstruction in itself um, is usually associated with the left and progressives and liberals. And so uh, maybe that's your camp and you're like, yeah, baby. Or maybe you hate the left and liberals and progressives and you're like, yeah, they're ruining the world. Um, but the reality is deconstruction in itself is something we all do all the time. You, you might own a, a computer and you use it every day, but you don't necessarily know how all the parts inside it work. And if you were a really curious person, maybe you'd want to take your computer apart and see all of the intricate little parts that go together to make it function. Um, and that's not a bad thing. Uh, the, the process itself is a really healthy thing, but it's also scary because at the end of that process, you might do away with some of the ideas that you used to hold. And I think that there's a, a tension especially right now, because as people are deconstructing their faith, they're not replacing things or not returning to um, the same conclusions they were at before, um, whether that be on the kind of music they listen to or the kind of beliefs they have around leadership in the church or the way to interpret scripture. Um, and so deconstruction has a really bad name um, because it's leading people to different conclusions. Yeah, I want to just interject real quick, Mike, too, because I think spot on with what I, I think we both understand deconstruction to be. But for some people, too, deconstruction is a little bit forced upon them because they may have been hurt by somebody in the church. They may have held a belief that uh, they come to later find has, it was actually damaging to them. Um, Maybe you can speak a little bit more to that too as well. Yeah, for sure. I mean, think about, um, maybe this is like elementary school science, right? The uh, scientific method. You start with a premise or a hypothesis, an educated guess, and then through experimentation, you figure out if your hypothesis was true. Um, take that analogy, expand it over years and years and years. You start with a premise about what is true about reality through your faith. And as you live it out over months and years, eventually you might be presented with a certain truth that no longer um, validates your original idea or your hypothesis. You've been presented with new information and now you go, oh crap, like the things I thought that were true before don't seem to line up with this other thing. And so that can be a gentle process for some people and go, oh, I just need to adjust for other people, it's earth shattering and not in the good way. Um, and like you just alluded to, I think what happens for a lot of people is that there's a lot of abuse in the church, whether it's an abuse of power, or abuse of authority, or literal abuse of, of people in the church that forces people to come to terms with the fact that not everything they thought was true is necessarily true. Um, and that's a really scary and difficult process. I would say my estimation is that the majority, if not all people go through deconstruction um, unwillingly um, or yeah. accidentally. And it's more of a, a reaction to a, an environment rather than a process you lean into on purpose. Mm -hmm. Cool. Continue. <laughs> cool.
Um, yeah, I think that, you know, there are some terms beyond deconstruction that get thrown around in the church today, like evangelical. Um, and that's got a lot of political um, undercurrents to that term now. Uh, and, and that's part of how we understand words. It's part of how we communicate as people is that words, meanings change, right? Like when I say, oh man, I am literally exhausted or I am literally dying or, you know, the way we use literally today is by definition, not literally, <laughs> but we've changed the definition because of how people use it. And so when we talk about evangelicalism, um, that brings with it some presuppositions. And evangelicalism is typically associated with a more conservative or traditional view um, of scripture, of faith, of, um, mm -hmm. of church. Um, typically, evangelicals are less positive about deconstruction. Uh, they, this is a scenario where the church would say something like, um, stereotypically saying, you shouldn't question these things. If you question the Bible, if you question church, if you question your pastor, then either you're a bad Christian because you don't trust these people and you don't trust the Bible, you don't trust God, or you don't have enough faith uh, because it, the, the notion is that to question anything is mm -hmm. to doubt. Therefore, you don't have faith. Um, but I heard it said once by um, Dr. Jonathan Walton, I believe he works at Princeton um, Seminary. Uh, he says, truth doesn't fear questioning. Mm -hmm. um, and if we believe that God is uh, the holder of truth, then we shouldn't fear questioning uh, the same way that you shouldn't fear questioning in a court um, scenario. Because if, if you go through that line of questioning, the truth should be revealed. It should be able to withstand that. And so he goes on to say, that the opposite of faith is not doubt. It's actually certainty. Mm. Now that statement alone, I think is yeah, something that a lot that of people are going to have. Yeah. I think a lot of people are going to have problems with that, but um, just think about it in reality, faith, I think often as a product of the enlightenment mm. is paralleled with logic. And I think that faith can be logical in one sense, but by definition, faith is, is this process or this action um, that despite all of the things that tell me otherwise, I believe something. What happens, I think, after the Enlightenment in the 21st century now especially is people believe what they can make sense of. And so, in mm -hmm. fact, faith has become less an act of belief and more an act of um, intellectual exercises. So faith is ultimately just what you can make the most sense of, which is logical in a lot of ways, mm -hmm. but it doesn't require us to put ourselves into a position of vulnerability. Yeah. And so, you know, if you say someone's courageous, you can't be courageous if you don't have fear. Like to be brave means that despite your fear, you are taking action. To have faith is to say, despite your doubt, you are choosing to believe. If you don't have any doubts, then there is no That's faith, not faith. <laughs> right? So the opposite of faith would not be doubt then. It would be certainty. If you're certain of everything you do, say, think, then you're just certain of yourself. Do you really have faith in a higher power, um, a divine being that we call God? Um, I think it's the Lumineers that have the line that the opposite of love is indifference. 
sometimes we think the opposite of love would be hate. Maybe that's a theological idea we can unpack, but you know, indifference is a scary place to live. At least hate, there's some kind of emotion and feeling involved. Indifference is this, this bland limbo, right? And so it's a similar kind of parallel um, with how we think about faith, doubt, questioning. And so there's, there's a lot of long, complex history that goes on to these different things and how we end up with denominations and these different beliefs um, that are wrapped up in all kinds of debates about what do we believe and why. So I think that the important thing is that as we lean into um, conversations around uh, deconstruction and unpacking what we believe, why we believe it, even statements like Jesus is 100% God and 100% man. That's something that almost every church says because mm -hmm. that is orthodox Christian belief. And they, you might as well put this on a bumper sticker, how much you hear it, right? Yeah. And you say, oh yeah, I believe the Bible. You know, that's what it says. Jesus is 100% God, 100% man. But you can't point me to a verse that says literally that. Mm -hmm. There are some passages that say something to the effect of, you know, I and the Father are one, but there are other passages that imply that Jesus is at the will of God the Father mm -hmm. and that Jesus doesn't know everything God the Father knows. And in fact, the church debated about this, this statement that Jesus is 100% God and 100% man for hundreds of years. And they had councils where they said, this does not make logical sense. Right. And it got to the point where uh, it actually culminated in St. Nicholas slapping a guy in the face named Arius because he denied this claim. And so that St. Nicholas, <laughs> who we based Santa present. Claus off of, <laughs> that's right. Um, it's a very famous event in history that St. Nicholas was so angry that Arius would question this notion. He slapped him. And if you're a pacifist, St. Nicholas better have repented of that. But my point being that, you know, some of these ideas that we take for granted uh, now, we just go, oh yeah, that's what Christians think. Jesus, 100% God, 100% man. That's just how it is. Duh. No, no. We are products of thousands of years worth of people working these ideas out for themselves. And now we get the final product and we just go, oh yeah, duh. Deconstruction is about working backwards. Well, how did they get to that conclusion? The word Trinity never occurs in scripture. That's a belief derived from passages of scripture. And so in the same way, people now are really trying to unpack all of these things that they believe. They're trying to figure out why they believe these things. Um, there's a reason there's 30,000 plus denominations that believe different things from whether or not, you know, people should sing with smoke machines going to whether or not there should be organs in sanctuaries, whether or not we should have capital campaigns for new buildings, should we have buildings at all. These are all theological debates that are a product of people trying to unpack what they believe. So I, I would say deconstruction isn't necessarily about throwing out everything that's ever been there. It's about unpacking why is it there in the first place and do I believe it should stay? And I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing. I think it's a really healthy thing. Um, and that's why, you know, we here think that the important next step is about reconstruction or restructuring. Um, so I've talked for a while, Cole, maybe you can um, <laughs> talk a little bit about what reconstruction means to you. 
Yeah, I think you've kind of alluded to it um, in what you've said as well. But I, at a very basic level, uh, reconstruction is building something again. And so that can be very smooth. Like you said, it's, it's taking apart the pieces through deconstruction and then figuring out how they go back together or if they go back together. Um, but again, it could be because something has been damaged or destroyed. Um, so the work almost has to be done um, and it has to be done with new pieces, with new uh, understanding and things like that. And so the catch to reconstruction, especially when we're talking about faith, is that now you have more information. Uh, you have new knowledge, understanding, um, experiences maybe that will fundamentally change the, the ethos or the architecture plans, if we go with your building uh, analogy, that you once had for this thing that you constructed. And so, again, when it comes to faith, there's now a deeper understanding that you have about what it means or doesn't mean to be someone who considers themselves a Christian or maybe if not a Christian, a follower of Christ. Um, maybe we've learned that we've only been taught to read passages through a certain lens or when we sit down and actually read the words of Jesus, there's really little arguing that the kingdom of God is a radically generous, loving, gracious place of existence. Uh, one that really, like you said, Mike, challenges a lot of those conservative or survivalist ideas that, that some people hold within the church. And there's so many of these areas, and they're all so specific to every each individual person. So the things that affected me um, and caused me to go through this might not be the same things that affected Mike, or they may be the same things, but that wouldn't be the same thing that affects the next person down the road. But the bottom line is... Uh, we all have to put the pieces back together, right? Um, we all will put the pieces back together, whether we like it or not. Uh, those who find that they can't continue in the Christian faith after the deconstruction process may find a new religion or remain spiritual but unaffiliated or may abandon faith altogether, but that is fundamentally you reconstructing what you believe about certain things or how you move forward. So I think one of the pieces for me that's important to rec recognize in this process is this is an, like something that is baked into creation, into the world, into the kind of vibrations below the surface is that we all just, we do this work, whether we think we're doing it or not. Um, and so for those who still find faith valuable or still find uh, Christianity valuable, it means that this <clears throat> deconstructed or damaged or destroyed worldview or faith structure that we have, it needs to be corrected. And so that's how we can continue to find value in our faith journey. And so I think, yes, deconstruction is really, really hard. And it was a really tough period of time in my life. But I would say that reconstruction may have been harder uh, because things are very fragile for a while. Uh, but the hope is, and that is, if you want to remain in the in the Christian tradition, uh, you are able, through the help of others and through time, to rebuild a faith structure that is not only built to handle uncertainty, um, 
but also one that is honest and true to you post deconstruction as well. So it's, and I think one of the, the problems, ahead. sorry to jump in, is that one of the key features of the Enlightenment and modernism is individuality. Yeah. This hyper obsession with being your own person. Mm -hmm. um, and this is something that Protestants in particular, which I am one, are obsessed with. Like, oh, it's your faith. Go figure it out yeah. yourself. But all of the reformers from the Protestant Reformation would be immensely like disgusted with this notion that we can be the church away from community. Um, and so I think one of the big things that makes deconstruction scary for so many people is they, they've been told their entire lives, like this is your faith to figure out on your own. So they feel like they're on this journey alone. Um, when in reality, deconstruction is something we should be doing as a community, unpacking why we think what we think, right. um, and then reconstructing too. Um, but when people start doing this alone, I think that's when it's most concerning because they feel like they're out in the dark and they have no idea where to go next. Yeah. Um, so I think you're right. Trying to find that value becomes pretty difficult. Yeah. And it's really interesting, I think, because, and by all means, as we get into this, you're going to understand, like, we don't, we don't, our goal is not to bash the evangelical church or to bash conservatives. Like that's not our goal of this at all. We both have very, um, deep love for the people who fall into those quote unquote camps. Um, but the, one of the interesting things about the more evangelical non-denom churches is like, it is all about you and Jesus, you and Jesus are buddies, but the, the reality is it's not because you're coming to a church to have those conversations and to learn. And, and that's the way that they would want you to, or they would say is the, the best way for you to learn those things. And so it's, it's just kind of funky how that is baked into it. And it just doesn't kind of make sense to me uh, in that sense. And that's the scary thing too, because, you know, it, it's kind of the, um, you know, they want to have their cake and eat it too, or, <laughs> yeah. you know, whatever that phrase is, right? Like, oh no, it's you and Jesus. Um, but if you start saying, hey, Jesus told me this thing, but oh, oh, don't, <laughs> no, that thing's not something Jesus would say. Yeah. So that wasn't really Jesus. <laughs> And, you know, the irony of having, you know, out of 7 billion people on earth, everyone thinking that they all have the exclusive hold on what Jesus is saying mm -hmm. in this moment, you know, uh, unfortunately, there's a lot of bad that's been done in the world in the name of Jesus. Were they right or wrong? Like, it's always easy in hindsight to be like, well, yeah, you know, Hitler was wrong about using the gospel of John to justify the Holocaust. And, and Americans were wrong to use the book of Philemon to justify slavery. Mm -hmm. You know, all of these you and Jesus on your own moments uh, usually yield something dangerous, right? And so th there's a value of that personal moment, but there's also an immense value in community. Um, and so the same people that typically are saying that it's all about that personal relationship are also in the next breath, usually critiquing that personal relationship. Right. And I think that's what a lot of people are questioning now is why should we trust your authority or your voice over another one? Mm -hmm. um, that's the difficulty, I think. Yeah. And so uh, like, it's not reconstruction then because, you know, as we go through that stuff, um, reconstruction isn't just putting a bandaid over the problem. Like that's not the goal of reconstruction, but it's healing 
the broken structures of the past or, or the broken structures that we ascribed to. Um, it's adding supports where there weren't supports before. Maybe it's placing a window where it was simply a brick wall before or adding a whole new wing uh, to the building that, you're, that you've constructed uh, because it makes everything more honest and more faithful and more beautiful uh, moving forward. So uh, two last things I will say is while reconstruction sounds like it has a final endpoint, right? So the past tense of that would be reconstructed. Uh, it's been five years for Mike and I, and we've had great support structures and people in our life to help along the way. And I know I definitely feel like I haven't fully arrived yet. And I don't know that I even hold that as like a marker down the road that I will arrive anywhere. Um, because that's really not what it's about. It's about how do we continually allow for these things in scripture that are called for, like bettering yourself, renewing your mind, uh, becoming who God's called you to be, the take off the old robe, put on the new uh, kind of uh, language that Paul uses. I don't know that that has an end point. I think we can always be uh, getting closer to what uh, Jesus has called us to, what God is looking for um, in the people who make up his kingdom. And so it feels good to know that the structure is more stable for sure, but um, I don't know that arrival is something that we look for um, at this point. And, you know, we can't, we can't sit here and say that the only way to do this is in, uh, is in Christendom. Like, People abandon this. Deconstruction could cause people to say, actually, this is not the best way that I feel moving forward. This is not the most honest expression of what it looks like to be a person here on earth. Maybe they've been damaged to the point where, look, I can't rebuild in this place. And um, that's really, really understandable. And it's deeply, deeply personal. Um, but Mike and I, like we said earlier in the podcast, like we just really don't feel like there's a lot of good, helpful resources out there for people who go through that deconstruction process and then go, okay, I do find Christianity valuable, or I do find some sort of faith journey to be uh, something of value, but I have no idea where to go from here. So Mike, maybe what's, maybe you can explain to us like what is important why is this important to you? Why is this important to me? But uh, why is it important to you first? Yeah, uh, I think it's most important to me because I've had a wild journey. Like I grew up in a pseudo Christian home. Both my parents would claim to be Christians and and I believe they are, but we didn't have this express, explicit regimen um, our entire lives or anything like that. Um, but then when I got involved with church, it was a super conservative background. Um, and when you get into those environments, you, especially as a kid, you kind of just assume that's the way and that's what you're taught. Um, then I got to college and I learned a whole lot of things and I learned how much I didn't know. And I went through my own deconstruction process and it was scary at some parts. Um, but the difference is that I had this support system in a theology major and a biblical studies major. I had these great professors and experts in my corner that knew me personally and that helped me along the way and that were super patient with my frustration and with my questions. And 
Wow. I'm so um, fortunate to call some of those people mentors and friends. Um, but what I recognize leaving a, a Christian college at the end of that process, um, uh, that four-year journey, the majority of people don't have those kinds of people in their corner. The majority of people don't have you know, access to people with PhDs and people that have spent 20, 30, 40 years studying this stuff, helping them along the way. And in no way am I claiming to be any of those things. Uh, I definitely am not. Not experts. (laughs) Um, Yeah, we are some ding-dongs, that's for sure. Um, But I do think that I've I've spent much more time with this than the average person. Halfway because I'm a nerd and this is what I enjoy in my free time and the other half because I had to do it for school. Um, And so I think for me, my hope is that Anything that I've done in the last seven plus years of school focusing on these things can be remotely helpful to anyone else asking these kinds of questions. Um, at, the end of the, at the end of the day, Jesus asked questions. People asked Jesus questions and almost never did he respond with a straight answer. Um, and yet we're called to follow him anyways And so I don't think our faith is supposed to be all about answers. I think there's something really healthy about us living in that dark liminal space, that in-between area of not exactly having um, concrete answers about everything and allowing our faith to be flexible enough um, to deal with that tension. Um, And so I I think our hope is through these conversations, uh, wherever they take us, is to unpack some of those questions, not necessarily answer them, but try to name the concerns or the desires that are kind of under the surface. Um, But yeah, how how would you describe your own feelings or or hopes for this? Yeah, I I agree. I resonate a lot with what you said, I think two things um, off of that before I kind of go on another thought. Um, one is when we were in college, both of us together, we read an article called The Dark Night of the Soul. And it was about Mother Teresa and how they found, I think, found her journals. Is this help me with the story if I get it wrong? Yeah. So it was letters she wrote to her spiritual mentors that she asked them never to share with anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and then later down the line, decades later, I guess someone had compiled these letters together. So there's like an ethical question about yeah, it, but for sure. and go ahead with the gist of it. But the gist of it being that mother Teresa struggled for a lot of her time here on earth and a lot of her ministry with the feeling that God was there or that she heard from God or that the work that she was doing was something that that was benefiting God. And so the, these questions and, and this work is done by everybody, like we said before. And it's really difficult to, to, to think that we would be above that or outside of that, um, especially when somebody like Mother Teresa was somebody who struggled with that so much. I mean, look at her life. It, it exudes <laughs> the presence of God. Um, so I think that that's one piece. The other piece is... Um, what I've found really helpful, same boat as you, read a lot of things, had a lot of great people around me, and what that provided me that some of my friends maybe may not have had and after I've talked to them is I was given the language. It's, it's, it's hard to do all of the work internally of rebuilding all of these beliefs 
when you don't have the language or the toolbox to do it. And so what I'm hoping for that the people who listen to this um, get from this is that we have some of that language now that we can now provide to you, or we can at least point you in the right place for that, because it can be really difficult to say like, okay, yeah, I don't believe this anymore. I'm questioning this, but (laughs) what does that mean? Where do I go? Who do I listen to? What voices are uh, voices who are um, respected and revered and, and, and have thought about these things critically. So those, those are like two things I think of just kind of like reacting to you. And then I also, I also kind of echo that I think I've become more aware now of just how alone and isolated most people feel um, in this process and even on the other side, because um, a lot of th- things change. Deconstruction doesn't just affect your faith. I think that's one of the, the distinctions I'd like to make. Um, but typically, your faith and the process is intertwined with your personal life, your relationships, what, you know, add whatever you want into there, right? The, the place you feel like you're in a lot of times or, or some of the times while you're going through these processes, you have to pick this process or you have to pick your old life and the people who were there. And I wish it wasn't the case uh, at all, but unfortunately I haven't experienced and I haven't met anyone really who's had a different experience than that. Um, and I'm not saying that doesn't exist because I, I think it does. I think it's just a little bit more rare. Um, so hopefully this podcast just helps you, you who are listening to, to understand that your story probably isn't weird and it's not taboo to have questions and wrestle with faith, God, the church, any of that, like it's all okay. (laughs) Yeah. And so, you know, in closing, I think ultimately this conversation, unfortunately would never end. So for someone like me that just keeps rambling on monologues, that's like, all right, well, we'll just keep going until we go. But, uh, for all of us, we have to recognize that our faith journeys, you know, will honestly probably continue after death in some way. There's a lot of traditions that talk a lot about what that might look like. Um, we are not claiming to have uh, the exclusive hold on truth or the final answer to Absolutely any not. of these questions, <laughs> even. Um we're looking for an outlet to finally be able to share about all these nerdy books we read for fun. Um, and we know most people don't read these things uh, for the majority uh, of their free time. And so, you know, our hope is that our conversations are remotely helpful in putting words to some of the feelings that you have. Hopefully some of the things that we name here allow you to have that aha moment to say, ah, I didn't know how to describe what I was feeling, but that's the thing. Um, Because at the end of the day, that's what the community of faith is supposed to be. It's a place where we together can say, we feel these things and we're in community regardless of where we end up. You know, our hope is that something that we say here um, is, is valuable to you listening. Yeah, and so you know, as we kind of dream and think about what, what we can do in the future, we have a, a couple of these uh, people in our life who have been great to us, who we think would uh, be great to talk to on this podcast. 
we also are going to go through a book um, a teaser here if you want to grab it ahead of time it's called the wisdom pattern it's by richard Rohr. specifically we're going to be reading the updated 2020 version um, and also we know that like we said it's just us sharing this this information with you so um or that's the way podcasts can feel and so we want to make sure that we are also listening to the community that that we're hoping we reach and so there's going to be moments where you guys get to share your stories we might get to talk about them maybe down the road it looks like interviews and things like that but um yeah so mike we made it through the first podcast did we did we really make it through (laughs) i think we made it through yeah for sure yeah well thanks for being with us uh whoever you are and um you know we hope that if anything we said resonated maybe share it with some people too not for the sake you'll just have to trust us when we say it's not for the sake of us getting more listens or views but we genuinely believe what we're talking about is something worth talking Mm -hmm. about and unfortunately the institution of the church as an official structure isn't a place where these conversations happen regularly and so we hope that this is one place out of many that you can at least begin to or continue to have these kinds of conversations that's great well hey everybody thanks for listening if you if you like what you hear we'd love it if you could subscribe to this podcast wherever you are listening uh, so you don't miss another episode and while you're at it we would love if you would rate this podcast and leave us a review wherever again you are listening to these things just so you know anything below four stars does make baby jesus cry uh but other than that uh, much love uh we'll see you next time